Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com, which features episodes of the show, written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links and other cool stuff. This week's guest is saxophonist Joel Fromm. His new album is called We Used to Dance. From it, this is Bob's Blues. My guest is saxophonist Joel Fromm, whose new album is called We Used to Dance on Anzic Records. Apparently it was a slow day down at the Musicians' Union because the only guys he could get to play with him on this record were Kenny Barron, Rufus Reed, and Victor Lewis, and we'll talk about that sad state of affairs and why this album came to be after I welcome Joel to the show. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Jason. This is a really uh, fantastic record, and and obviously, uh, anybody who knows the tenor saxophone and hears those three names connected with a tenor player uh, knows a little bit about the history of those guys as a trio. Will you talk about where the inspiration for that pairing, or that trio, I should say, comes from? Sure. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I, I, uh, some of my favorite records um, that came out, I would say, I guess late 80s maybe, was when they, was when they came out, uh, were Anniversary and Serenity, the uh, Stan, late Stan Getz records. And... Uh, um, I always really liked those records for a lot of reasons. I mean, they, um, you know, th- those guys in particular have this ability to be really swinging and pretty open at the same time. I mean, there's there's sort of an openness about the groove that they have that allows for a lot of play, and it's and it's um, you know you really feel kind of the sagacity of of uh, the fact that they've played for many many years and the fact that they've played together. So you know, it just immediately came to mind as a natural for me. I, I you know I always loved the way Stan played with them, and I thought you know being such a big fan of Stan's as well that it might be really fun to to get that feeling myself. Can you talk about what you mean by openness and what that allows you to do as a saxophonist? 
Well, it, it's it's sort of the elasticity of of the way they approach uh, this swing feel. I think. I mean, to me, um, you know, there's there's a certain sense of space that you get, um, and it's a little bit it's a little esoteric. I mean, I'm not sure that I could even you know verbalize exactly you know what it is that makes it feel that way, but. I think just the fact that those guys listen to one another, they listen to you know the soloists, they listen to each other as they're playing as a rhythm section. Um, you know, there's a certain maturity there, and also I think it's the fact that they're at the point in their, they're at the point in their careers where I don't think they feel like they have to prove anything, and you know, I think that really brings a certain sense of uh, zen and relaxation to the whole proceedings that really uh, allows me as a soloist and as a leader to get very relaxed in that, in, in, in that groove. So um, for me, it was really just a great experience to feel that around me and feel that sort of warmth and, and uh, conversation happening all at the same time. What was the recording session itself like? Um, well, I had the flu, <laughs> so it was, it was a little tough on me. But Oh, man. Um, yeah, I got, actually, it was, it was kind of funny. We rehearsed once the, the night before, and I felt myself getting sick. And then the day of the recording, I was really sick. And um, But, you know, in a way, actually, it, it kind of focused me in a funny way. I mean, I, I think the good part that came out of it was that I couldn't worry about anything but just what the matter at hand uh, was. So, um, you know, it was sort of, uh, in a sense, it was a focusing factor because I just had to kind of, like, concentrate on one thing at a time because I didn't feel well enough to, to worry about too much. So maybe it was sort of a blessing in disguise. But um, but as far as working with the guys, I mean, you know, they were all, of course, you know, incredible gentlemen and, and, and really respectful and very enthusiastic about, about uh, playing, you know, the music and, and uh, you know, really paid attention to detail on the charts that were new for them, the things that I wrote. So, I mean, it was, it was really a great experience. I mean, you know, I, I can't say enough about each one of them. I, I really I was just so honored that uh, they were able to do it. And all four of you are very busy musicians, so I'm guessing if you think you're coming down with the flu, you can't just call up and say, can we reschedule this for next week, right? <laughs> That's for sure. In fact, I think we had had a couple uh, sort of uh, missed dates uh, up to that point that we, we, we tried to get. And, and uh, you know, to get all of them in the same room together it was, was uh, not the easiest thing. So, uh, you know, but at that point, I think I, even though I wasn't feeling well, I, I was really excited to just be there and... and uh, to be playing with these, you know, legendary world-class guys, so...
you step out of the the shadow of the Stan Getz sessions when you're playing with the on the same instrument with the same trio? How did how did you create? Obviously, you're a different human being, so that's one way. But how did you right. uh, kind of create your own your own environment on this record? Well, I think I think it comes down to very simple choices, and and the thing that I did was to really not try and ape that too much. And, and because, you know, left to my own devices, I mean, I'm a pretty good mimic. I mean, I can mimic a lot of great tenor players, but, but I really didn't want to get too close um, to the way Stan played. So I really tried to just kind of meditate and, and, uh, and just breathe and play the way I would normally play with any rhythm section. And so that was, that was the first thing. The other thing that I think helped is that I actually wrote more for this record than I ever have in the past for any other of my CDs, and I think that helped give it, you know, a personal flavor of mine as well, because I think my writing style doesn't have much to do with Stan, really, and uh, even though my playing style certainly owes, you know, a great deal to him, but, um, you know, I think you can still still hear hints of Stan. I mean, there are certain things that I play on the record on some on the ballads, and, and also on, I would say, Joanne Julia, uh, which Stan recorded with Kenny uh, in the past, I mean, you certainly hear hints of Stan, and that's fine. I mean, I, I'm proud of that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't look at that necessarily as as such a negative. I mean, I think if I had gone and done a complete, you know, an utter slavish tribute to Stan, it would have, it might have been a negative. But I, I really tried to kind of keep my own voice, and just just by sort of like taking a deep breath before each tune and then trying to just let myself be. You just mentioned how much you wrote for this record, which in some ways seems like a bit of a daring choice. It it seems like it might have almost been easier with three guys who know the repertoire so well to just say, okay, we're going to take 10 of the great tunes and play them. But you actually came to the session with a lot of your own music, which I think was a great a great choice. Was it a, was it a, a nervous choice or a nerve-wracking choice to make? Um, it was a conscious choice. I, I, I knew, you know, the last record that I had done with, was the duo with Brad Meldow, which was, uh, you know, which I really enjoyed, but was, which was very standard heavy. And uh, I had only written one tune for that. And in fact, Brad had actually initially written the tune for that session as well, uh, which was great. And I, I, one of my great regrets about that session is that I, at the end of the date, I was too chicken to play his song because I was afraid I was going to mess it up. And it was kind of late in the day. And I think it might even even made that record even better. Um, but so I really wanted on this day to, um, you know, have as much of a writing voice as I could, and uh, have that kind of leaven the proceedings a little bit because um, I just I just thought it was important for me, you know, musically and uh, to find you know trying to further my own voice and find you know something personal to say 
and not just make this another record, okay, I'm going to get like the classic rhythm section and play, you know, the tunes that everyone's played for 50 years. So um, I, I just wanted it to have like a little bit more of a, you know, personal outlook on the, on the whole bit. How did you feel about how your own compositions came out on the recording, and what was it like to hear them played, uh, you know, as a, as a quartet with these fine musicians? Well, it was interesting because, you know, I played some of these tunes. I mean, some of the tunes had been written before, you know, I ever played with, with uh, this rhythm section, and I had played them with my peers. So it was interesting to hear their interpretation. Um, you know, it's always unexpected. I mean, hearing those guys, you know, kind of navigate through some of the tunes that I wrote, um, you know, there were surprises and then there were familiarities. And, uh, I mean, it was, you know, obviously in, in the hands of, of those musicians, you know, something good's going to come out. You just, it just might not be the good thing that you expect. But, um, I want, one thing that I really did notice was that the tunes, um, became, um, I mean, the tunes kind of really became tailored to the way that rhythm section plays. And so that was an interesting thing for me that it's it sort of, you know, and I, and I am very affected by my surroundings. So I think, um, and I don't know, it's, it's, like, it's like making a meal. Like you never know, you know, if you, if you make, you know, shrimp scampi five times, it's going to taste different every time. So, you know, I think that, uh, it, you know, I, I just, I just kind of welcome the surprise and welcome the interpretation and, and, and just go with it. What do you mean by saying that you're very affected by your surroundings? In what way are you affected? Well, I think, um, you know, depending on, on the people around me playing, um, you know, say, for instance, if I'm playing with a very bebop-oriented drummer, like someone who really sort of hews to the classic tradition of playing like Philly Joe Jones or, you know, Art Taylor or someone like that, um, it's going to, you know, it's going to sort of guide me in a certain direction, and I'm, I'm going to tend to play that language. I'm going to tend to, you know, go, you know, go in that direction. Whereas if I play with, you know, Matt Wilson or someone, um, like of that ilk, it's going to, you know, it's going to open me up and I'm going to think about, you know, some of the things that Dewey taught me or, you know, other, other, or, or Ned or, you know, some of those influences. So, you know, my strength and my weakness has always been that I'm, I'm a bit of a chameleon. And, um, and sometimes I struggle with that, but, you know, actually lately I've just been kind of embracing it and accepting that that's who I am. And, um, you know, and just trying, like I said before, just trying to be in the moment, being being aware of my surroundings, and and just sort of going with it instead of fighting it. Now, talking about the uh, the trio on this record, although you brought these guys together for this record in particular, you actually go back uh, quite a ways with Kenny Barron and a, a pretty decent ways with Rufus Reed as well, right? How did you first meet Kenny? Well, I met Kenny because my freshman year of college was at Rutgers University, and he was teaching there at the time. He was my ensemble coach, so. I used to show up early occasionally to um, to my combo class, and, and he would show up early. And, you know, Kenny plays a little bit of bass, um, and so he would want to play duo, you know, him playing bass and me playing tenor. So we did that a few times. And then, you know, he would. there were there were a few times, too, where he'd sit down at the piano, and I'd stop him, and I'd say, you know, what what is it that you're thinking there when you play that line? And he'd show me, and he'd say, well, it's just this and that. And, you know, these, these little things that, if, I mean, for, for him, I'm sure it was no big deal. But for me, a lot of the things that he told me were real, were, were very revelatory at the time. And, and um, so I, I really found him a great teacher, especially just by the example that he set and uh, just by, you know, the way he approaches music and the way, you know, also just the way he carries himself as a man. I mean, I, I think he's a, he's a very confident, elegant, graceful guy. And, um, yeah, I, I really, I learned a lot from him. And then how about Rufus? 
Well, Rufus, I met through, um, I actually auditioned. I didn't get the gig, but, <laughs> but I, auditioned, I auditioned for Tana Reed, um, which was his group with uh, um, Akira Tana. And that was, um, oh, I don't even know. I mean, I guess I probably auditioned for him in 1993 or 94 or something like that. Um, but then I ended up, you know, kind of subbing and doing rehearsals for them, you know, later on. And we would always just kind of run into each other in the clubs. And I got to know him, and I got to know his wife, Doris, pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we've just sort of had this friendly uh, rapport ever since I met him. And and so, you know, the relationship hasn't been, I mean, it's been sporadic, but um, he's always been very, very supportive and, you know, was was really such a great cheerleader for me on this record. I mean, he really, you know, he would take me aside and kind of like, you know, make me laugh and calm me down. And, um, I mean, he's just a beautiful guy and, and really brought just this, you know, really wonderful confidence and relaxation to the whole thing. So I was, you know, I feel really grateful to have in there, too. And then this was your first time playing with Victor Lewis, right? This was my very first time playing with Victor Lewis, and I I was especially excited about having Victor on the record because I've seen Victor play many times, not only with Stan, but also in his uh, trio that he had with um, Seamus Blake and Ed Howard and uh, in, in many different situations, seeing him play... Uh, with with various bands, and I always liked his uh, writing. Actually, I, I regret not asking him to bring in a tune. I, 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 you know, if I had it to do over again, I would ask Victor to contribute one as well. But um, because I think he's a great writer, and I think, um, you know, the thing the thing that I always loved about Victor is his dynamics and the way he approaches um, the set. The drum kit is so is again so graceful and so. Um, you know, he really has a sense of uh, not not being afraid to uh, be gentle on, on the drum kit, and that's something that you don't always get with young drummers. Uh, and I, I really, there's something about it where he can just create such a vibe, even with one cymbal hit, and or you know, just the way he he plays uh, the entire kit really inspires. I don't know, just a lot of musicality in me, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of his. So I was very, very tickled to have him on the record. I think for a lot of folks, their familiarity with recording an album is, you know, hearing about the way rock bands do it and that kind of thing, where it's, you know, six months in the studio on 450,000 tracks. And, right. you know, this album, I mean, and so many jazz albums, when you look at the recording date, it says recorded on a specific day. Right. And so that means you guys go into the studio at some hour and many hours later you leave and the album is finished, basically, right? right? Everything that's going to be played for it. And I wonder what, what kind of pressure does that that place on you when you know you're not going to have another bite at the apple well you know you get better at it i mean i you know this is my this is my fourth record and and you know probably my 
fiftieth or so, you know, as in general. Um, so the more you're in the studio, the better you get. I, re- I remember early sessions, early demo sessions that I did, even though it wasn't going to be released. But I, you know, I do little demo sessions for competitions or whatever. And, and I remember one in, in particular that I did uh, for the first Thelonious Monk competition, and I did it with um, with Kenny Werner and Dennis Irwin and Dennis McCrell, who were then, you know, then the rhythm section for Mel Lewis. Um, well, well, I mean, I should say the Vanguard band. Mel had actually passed by that point. And I, you know, I went in with those guys. I was very young. I was very green. And, you know, I really folded on that session. I really, you know, kind of didn't, I, I let the pressure get to me. I let it, you know, I let it really bug me. And it's taken years, you know, and, and I still don't feel as comfortable in the studio as, as I do just playing at a club. But I think the more you do it, you know, the more it becomes familiar and the more it becomes old hat. And you're able to just sort of be yourself more and more. So I guess, um, you know, the fact that we had one day to one day to do it, I just didn't allow, I didn't allow myself to think about it too much. I, I just tried to, you know, make sure that I was concentrating on whatever song we were going to play, making sure that the tempo was right, making sure that everyone knew what the roadmap was. And, you know, you get involved in those details, and then you don't really think about being nervous anymore. Are there some standout moments on the recording for you? Yeah. I, you know, I like, I like my composition, Not Nord, uh, which was written for a friend of mine named Nadia, Nor- Nadia Nordhaus. Um, and she actually, she actually helped me transcribe that tune when I was complaining about not writing any tune. She said, well, why don't you just write a tune? <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, she sort of helped me with the whole dictation of the song, and so I named it for her. That's, I, I really like that performance because I think it takes this particular rhythm section a little bit outside their box and, you know, what they're, what they're accustomed to. I, I, was, I was really curious to see how they would deal with the odd time signatures and all that kind of stuff, so I kind of like that one. ballads a lot. I think the ballads came out, you know, the, the two standard ballads, Spring Can Really Hang Up the Most and, and My Ideal, um, both came out pretty well. And, and so I, I guess if I had to say, um, oh, and I like A Whole New You, too, the, the, the tune that I wrote over um, uh, I Remember You. I wrote a bebop head, and I like the way that came out, too. So there's, there's a bunch of things that I really like about the record. And I also think one of the things that I like about it is that it, it, I think the record as a whole there aren't really too many weak spots. I mean, I, I think there are places where I could have played better or there are things that I hear, oh, man, I, you know, I, I could have been more inspired here or there. But I think the record as a whole really hangs together because, you know, every tune, you know, really makes its own statement. And, and I think, I, you know, I'm glad that I made kind of an overall good record. You know? so. <laughs> yeah, that's always a nice feeling. Huh? Yeah. Now, 
you uh you're an incredibly busy saxophonist and you talked about being a chameleon you certainly put yourself in situations where you can play in a lot of different styles i've seen you a number of times never in the same context twice and uh, i noticed this came out on anzic records which if i'm not mistaken is anat cohen's label is that right or associated that's with right her? yeah not as associated with she was she was kind of the first artist to uh to put out a record you know to, to, together with a partner and and um you know, they she was sort of the you know did the maiden voyage, and then you know they started bringing in uh, some people uh, around her, the friends of hers that she really respected, and, and musicians that she really liked, and, and it just sort of grew and grew, and uh, now it's really becoming a you know a real record label. So um, yeah, it's exciting. To, it's exciting to kind of be in on the ground floor of, of this new uh, record label because I think they're doing some really nice things. And you and Anat are in a band together now, right? With a, a very interesting repertoire that I just saw written about a seven-piece group. In, uh, right, we're we're in this band called uh, Waverly Seven, um, and we did a tribute to uh, tribute to Bobby Darren called Yo Bobby, which was um, sort of the brainchild of Anat's partner. Um, I'm not really supposed to mention his name. He doesn't like to be mentioned in the press, so so I'm I'm doing a, I'm doing him a favor by not mentioning his name. But he he sort of is is the uh, uh, the brainchild for um, for the label, he's he's sort of the force behind it, and and um, he's you know he was a big Bobby Darren fan, is a big Bobby Darren fan, and put together this playlist, you know, made us all work CDs from his from his iTunes folder, and and uh, we listened to the CDs, and then Manuel Valera, the great Cuban piano player, wrote arrangements for it, and you know we rehearsed for about four days, and went in the studio and made a double CD, so. It was just sort of a whirlwind thing, um, you know. We we just really kind of knocked it out fast and and uh, put in some really long days. But um, yeah, the way and what's nice about Waverly Seven now is that uh, we're starting to get beyond just the Darren repertoire, and we're starting to mix in some original stuff. And, and you know, more uh, Jason Linders wrote some really has written some really nice arrangements for the band, and then Lovelair has started to write some more nice arrangements for the band. So. I think eventually the goal is to get this band, um, you know, to have a band that can be really super eclectic on stage and play a completely unexpected repertoire, you know, draw from Bobby Darren, draw from the, you know, classic songbook, draw from, you know, maybe some funk stuff, like all sorts of stuff. We really want to make it as as exciting and unusual and eclectic as we possibly can can in the future. And that band also has Anat's brother Abishai on it, right? That- That's right. Well, yeah, Avishai kind of, for me, Avishai kind of steals the Yo Bobby record. I mean, I, I think that his playing on that record is just absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's a, there's a, a cut that he does with uh, Scott Robinson, and I'm trying to remember which, which track it is, but he does a, they do this, um, you know, with no chords, with no guitar, no piano, um, quartet, sort of out of the uh, Jerry Mulligan, Chet Baker vein. But man, those guys just tear it up. I mean, he and Scott sound just tremendous together. So I, yeah, I mean, Abishai is one of my favorite trumpet players in the world, and I, I really can't say enough about him. Well, he's going to be on the show uh, in a couple of weeks. I've never actually met him before, so I'm looking forward to getting a chance to chat with him. So. Yeah, he's totally heavy. Will you talk about some of the other projects uh, that you're involved in right now? Sure. Um, there's a few things. I'm, I'm playing in uh, Omer Alvital's band, the great Israeli bass player, um, and uh, we made a record not too long ago. Um, oh, and now, now the name is going to escape me. That's terrible. But uh, I know it's, I think it's called Arrival, actually, and I think that's coming out on Fresh Sound pretty soon, um, if it hasn't come out already. And um, is that a small group record, or it's a small group record? Actually, it's it's me and Abishai on trumpet, 
Avi, Avi uh, Leibovich on, on uh, trombone, uh, also another uh, great Israeli musician. Um, it's Jonathan Blake on drums, Omer on bass, and Jason Lindner on piano. Wow, great band. Um, yeah, it really is a great band. And actually, we did a, we did a tour. Um, not everyone from the original band made it, but we did a great tour of Italy uh, not too long ago with Omer's group, and me and Avishai were the horn players there, and, and we just... Um, Man, it was it was so much fun, and so I'm, I'm actually we're going to Brazil pretty soon. We're going to do a little five day trip to Brazil with that band, so I'm looking forward to that too. And then um, you know, there's a few other things. I, I've been subbing for Rick Margitta and the Mouton Brothers band with uh, Francois and Louis Mouton, and doing some things with them. And um, I know I'm forgetting something too. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, I'm going to going to Italy also with uh, Dave Picotti's quartet with. Um, Victor Lewis again, and, and Ed Howard, that's coming up in, in October. So there's some really exciting things going on. And, I mean, that's just like the half of it. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a ton of other bands that I'm playing, in, but not everything is coming to mind right at the present. So. Well, the new record is uh, certainly worth everybody checking out. It bears repeated listening. It's called We Used to Dance from Joel Fromm. And, uh, Joel, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jason.
That's Joel Fromm from his new album, We Used to Dance. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a second and subscribe. It means you're always going to have the latest episode right there on your computer or in your MP3 player whenever you want it. You can also listen to The Jazz Session for free at thejazzsession.com. You'll find episodes of the show, plus written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of great links. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month. This month, it's VH1's Save the Music Foundation. Please click the link and give them some cash. Thanks. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there, beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can contact me via email at jason at thejazzsession.com or call the show at 585-473-5304. The Jazz Session mailing list is available at thejazzsession.com. It gives you periodic updates about the guests who appear on the show, plus some other news from my world. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session logo. Thank you so much for being here. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.